everyone, and welcome to the Top Rank Podcast. I'm your host, Rami Rank, and let's get things started. Today, my guest is Parul Agrawal. Parul is an author, speaker, and founder of ParulAgrawal.com, a consulting firm that helps authors and speakers build their businesses, publish books, and establish themselves as authorities in their respective fields. She's been published in outlets such as Forbes and Huffington Post and is also a TEDx speaker. Parul, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful, Rami. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. I'm very excited to have you here because, you know, first and foremost, I'm excited to interview another ASU alum. So go Sun Devils. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I, well, I think you and I just missed each other, you know, partly because I did my MBA there uh, online, but I, I graduated in uh, 2012. So I think we literally just missed each other by a couple of years over there. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, no, it's fun. I, look, I loved it. It was, you know, great program, very good school and, you know, just a lot of respect for it. But now and you you got two masters at ASU, which is amazing. But you, originally you studied uh, engineering in Bombay. So why engineering? Why, why did you decide to uh, study that initially? That's a very good question. I grew up in India in the 80s and um, in 80s, 90s. Um, if you are growing up in India and if you're coming from an educational family, then either you end up becoming an engineer or a doctor. There was like no third option. <laughs> okay. So sounds like growing up in a Jewish family in New Jersey. <laughs> you know, it was, do- it was doctor, lawyer, or, uh, yeah, that's about it. Doctor or lawyer. Exactly. So, and um, I come from a, a family of engineers. Um, also the town I grew up in, um, that's popular in the entire world for housing the very first engineering college in the country. Wow. Okay, so I mean, uh, you grow up among engineers in an engineering town. So I would imagine that's the natural, obvious path. So um, how did how did you picture your career? You know, going. You know, just saying, okay, I'm going to study engineering. Like, what what did you picture eventually that you would be doing? What did I? He, Honestly speaking, I never wanted to be an engineer. I was uh, more excited in your kind of profession, you know, going oh, really? into media, uh, becoming a journalist. And I loved interviewing people and talking to people. Uh, but but did that happened, just not seem like a uh, like a possibility or like like why, why go engineering and not follow the passion? What happened? Um, everything in India is very competitive. At least it was uh, while I was growing up. And I um, gave exams for some colleges that were offering mass communication and journalism courses, but I never got admission in them. Mm, And um, uh, I got admission in this engineering school. So I thought, okay, you know, I better pursue that because uh, I had two options. Rather, should I wait one year and then... um, uh, try to apply again to all these journalism schools, give the entrance tests and everything, or just, you know, pursue uh, my degree in engineering. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I realized, you know, um, journalism is something that I can always do. Uh, my skills, I will probably not lose, but engineering needs certain brains. And if I grow old, I might lose those brains. I don't know. I mean, like coming from an 18 year old, the first thing that you get into, you just go for it. And obviously I had an inclination towards it because my father is an engineer and Uh um, everybody in my family is an engineer. So it was easy for me to understand as well. Did they, do you feel like they uh, pressured you to go the engineering route or was it just, you know, as you described it, just a more natural uh, thing for you to do? It was a more natural thing for me to do because um, 
um, here um, in in United States, when you are in high school, you have more options to choose subjects, right? But uh, back then in India, we could choose either mathematics or biology. Okay. Okay, so I chose the bi- mathematics route. Mm-hmm. So that was essentially a natural progression of things. Okay, if you have done ma- mathematics and physics and chemistry in your high school, you would be able to, you know, at least um, follow that path after your high school also. So practically, it was natural. Well, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Uh, but then it's funny. So then you uh, you go to Bombay for college. And, you know, I was listening to, you know, one of your talks and your description of what life was like for you at the university, you know, with, you know, regular outages, having to carry water up five flights of stairs. Like when people in this country complain about, you know, how bad things are, do you, do you just really get annoyed? You're like, you have no idea, like, you know, how good you have it here. Exactly. That's true. And um, I went to Bombay. So that was another reason. Um I took engineering because mm-hmm. I was from the small town and Bombay is considered like one of the biggest cities in India and uh, the Bollywood city of the world. And mm-hmm. I was also excited to live my life in Bombay all by myself. So, you know, a lot of things, a lot of factors there. And um, uh, I was not anticipating this kind of an environment considering, you know, it's such a metropolitan city mm-hmm. but um you know reality is always different so when i went there i realized oh my gosh i live in a dorm <laughs> the conditions are not really like my house uh, we have power outages all the time and uh, because my um, room was on the fifth floor mm-hmm. and power outage was a norm and water shortage was a norm so there was no other way but carry these five uh, these buckets of water five flights of stairs so the water would come in tanks like big big tanks uh-huh. and then we would fill our buckets with the water from the tank and then use it for our daily needs so that's why i mean you know i if somebody asks me um what is one thing you can't live without my answer is you know i can live without anything but i cannot live without water <laughs> I was say, like, is every time you turn on a faucet now, you're just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And then uh, this was, you know, obviously the water for your daily needs. It's for not drinking water. Of course, yeah. drinking water is something different because you cannot drink the water from the tank. It's only for maybe your bathing and essential needs. Mm-hmm. So the drinking water was another uh, ball game altogether. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. short and short, it wasn't easy. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, even with all those challenges, maybe because we were young, we had the desire to be something. Uh, it, I always uh, say that that was one of the best period of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I think a lot of people look back at college like that because it's funny. Like, like if I look at my life now and look at you know what my living conditions were in college, and you know, like I'm not even going to begin to say that they compared to yours, like at, at all. But yeah. like. <laughs> You know, look, I, I remember just like, you know, okay, we got the apartment and we threw a party and there'd be, you know, quarter inch layer, you know, thick of like mud and, you know, dreck, like, you know, throughout the apartment the next morning. And there was the hole in the floor that somebody had invariably thrown up into the night before. Like, I can't live like that now. But it's like, I look back at those days, like, that was a great time. It was a lot of fun back then. Right. Sometimes I talk to my friends uh, from uh, my college and we were like, you know, we cannot do it all over again. You know, no, <laughs> we have lost that <laughs> 
<laughs> but but so, yes, it, at that point of time, even doing all that was fun. <laughs> well, I'm sure. Now, there was something that I was curious about because it, it's not something that we have. I, I don't think at least that we have as much here in America, but you had an arranged marriage. And it, it's yeah. one of those things that I, I just have a lot of questions about, like, you know, how did your families connect? Had you ever met each other before the wedding? Like, how, how did that how does that all work? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question again. So uh, my arranged marriage, um, my parents um, saw this advertisement in the newspaper. Uh, it's like a matrimonial column in the newspaper. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, this was uh, way back in 2000. I got married in 2004. Mm-hmm. And all these um, online matrimonial sites were not that popular. So newspaper was considered authentic. They were they were. Um, very new. The online matrimonial sites are very new, but obviously mm-hmm. parents would not trust online at that point, right? right. So, so um, they saw this advertisement in newspaper. And newspaper advertisements are um, actually, uh, you know, because you pay, right, uh, for mm-hmm. newspaper advertisements. So they're very short. So they're uh, short in the sense, okay, th- this boy. Uh, their height, uh, their educational background, their main religious um, Mm -hmm. background and uh, what they're doing. That's about it, like four or five words or maybe like one or two sentences. And then uh, they saw this advertisement and they thought that um, this could be a good match for me. And then they contacted uh, the number or the address or whatever it was on the advertisement and they, my parents reached out to now my husband's parents. And then um, they had an initial telephonic conversation mm-hmm. and uh, they thought, okay, okay, you know, um, let's send the biodata. So the okay. biodata back then was essentially sort of a resume uh, okay. about the girl. Uh, the picture. I mean, not not so, essentially the educational resume that we are talking about, but right. I, yeah. so what are they? What is, what is the bio data? What exactly are they sending? I mean, is it just like like you know height, weight, picture? Like like what, what's going over? True height, weight, picture, um, basic education, whatever the girl has. Um, of course, I was an engineer by that point, so engineer working in mm-hmm. so-and-so company. But most important thing that goes in that biodata is uh, your family history. So what do your parents do? Like, what does your father do? Your uncles or your grandfather, you know, any uh, person in your family, if they are a little bit popular, you include them in the, uh, you know. So mm-hmm. essentially a way to uh, glorify the family in front of this prospective party. Well, it's interesting. It's almost is like it feels like the family is almost more important than you were. That would be correct. Yes. Okay. Got it. That would okay. be correct. So, so if the family seems good, you know, uh, uh-huh. and if, if if they feel that yes, this family is authentic, then we take the talks to the next level. Okay. So now, uh, apparently, both ways they like the families, and then my parents went and met. Um, his parents and the boy. So mm-hmm. in the first in the first meeting, the girl is not usually um, allowed, so okay. to speak, because what if you know uh, the girl and the boy they end up liking each other a lot, and the families do not like each other so much. Oh, so wow. okay, 
<laughs> so, so it's mostly you know okay you the fam the parents go and um, have a conversation with the boy with their parents uh, you know depends if they are going to their family their extended families might be there as well so you get to know each other and uh, in my case you know my parents uh, my mom and my father went and met um, uh, the grooms or whatever the prospective boys parents <laughs> the prospective boy and they liked uh, liked everything and um then the next day it was decided that uh, we could take the conversation to the next level okay. and um uh, the boy the their family their extended families they came and met me and my extended families okay and did you yeah. guys hit it off at that point or uh in our case yes in my case yes uh, most of the time it doesn't happen but um, i think um right from the very beginning i had a very uh, clear um mindset so to speak like of what kind of family i was looking for i always knew i would have an arranged marriage uh-huh. you know so but i also at the same time knew that uh, if i do have an arranged marriage this is the kind of family and this is the kind of person i was looking for mm-hmm. so everything seemed right you know there was no major uh, red marks essentially or red flags and right. uh, uh we did get an opportunity to talk for some time uh, i mean like me and uh, the boy and then after that um uh, my parents thought that it was okay to go ahead and get us married off but in the process because uh, essentially this family is practically new so you never know how the family might turn out at the end right and the yeah. safety is of primary concern for all parents mm-hmm. so a lot of uh, you know <laughs> sort of a background research goes on okay. so my father and all our extended family Uh, you know contacted everybody so my father in law he used to work in public works department which is sort of a government organization um uh, that take care of uh, you know the construction and everything mm-hmm. in so they make uh, so they make um, decisions on what should uh, be constructed next in india okay so he he used to work in that department and um, of course my father knew a lot of people from that department also because of his work and just through family so th- uh, then a lot of background research came into picture so we called everybody and their friends and family to get to know about this family if it was yeah. a good family if they are not faking their education if they are mm-hmm. not faking their degree in fact it so turned out that uh, my husband he was already working here in united states and somehow we found out uh, so my husband was already actually working here in united states uh, in arizona what was he doing uh, here in the us so he came here in uh, us to pursue his uh, phd in chemical engineering okay and after that uh, after he was done with his phd he was working for um, intel corporation uh-huh yeah and he's still working there so uh, he was still working there and it so turned out that uh, somehow we found out who his boss was mm-hmm. and uh, one of my uncles who actually um, has some connections uh, with the work they found out from his boss about his character okay 
<laughs> so I, I don't think I've ever had anybody call me about the character of, of one of my employees for prospective marriage. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, 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 I'd be like, uh. <laughs> yeah. and luckily enough, luckily enough, the his first manager is also Indian, was Indian. Okay. Uh, okay, and so he knew the process. He knew everything, and my <laughs> husband had already told him that you know I'm taking off for four weeks or so I'm going to India and my parents are uh, looking for a bride for me. So mm-hmm. I might get married and everything. So the boss already had a hint, you know, that <laughs> something like this might happen. Yeah. So he was well prepared, I think. <laughs> so That's kind of a funny, like, you know, almost forced vacation, you know, you're just at work one day and you get a call, like, look, your bride's getting ready. So we're gonna need you to come out here and get married. <laughs> like Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, so, um, so his boss had all good things to talk about him, uh-huh. about his character, so to speak. And we thought, okay, you know, and my parents were like, okay, nothing looks negative. And eventually, I mean, um, this is why they say marriages are made in heaven. It turned out that uh, this family was not really new to us uh-huh. because my father was... Um, really good friends with my husband's uncle. They used to uh, be uh, college mates back in like 60s and 70s. But obviously they lost touch, you know, over the years. You know, communications were not so easy these days, right? Yeah. And then um, uh, they saw each other and they recalled, oh my gosh, you know, you're my friend from college. And they were like (laughs) lost buddies uh, found together. And his another uncle And my grandfather, they used to work together in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they used to work together and his grand uncle, uh, my husband's uncle had moved to US back in 40s. I mean, like he has been in US for the last 40 years. Yeah. Apparently, my grandfather um, uh, helped him move to the US. So they were in the same department and everything. So later on, we found out that there were so many relationships we already had from the past oh that's so funny i mean it's it's just amazing that all that comes out of literally like you know basically a a newspaper ad i mean it's it's kind of amazing although you know there's some there's something funny about it in that like you know the way that it initially starts and that you know you're seeing like basic information on a newspaper ad it basically is online dating but it's you know just from an analog perspective and you know your family's doing it by proxy Exactly. It is like online dating, but just that the families are involved more compared to just the two people. Mm -hmm. God, it's so fascinating. And so uh, now, so did you get, were you still in college when you guys got married or were you? No, I was done with my engineering, like my bachelor's degree and I was working. I was working in a company. So, So you were working as an engineer at that point? Yes. Very cool. And so then after you get married, that's when, because uh, he was working in the U.S. at that point. So you moved back to the U.S. with him. So he was, al- exactly. was he already in Arizona or how did you end up in Arizona? He was already in Arizona. Yeah. Ah, okay. We haven't Very- moved outside of Arizona for the last 16 years. <laughs> Ah, okay. Um, yeah, I, I, it's like, I, I love Arizona, but I feel like whenever I go through there in the summer, like I like walk outside, I'm just punched in the face by the sun. I mean, it's just Oh, yes. Like, <laughs> you don't want to come here in summer. <laughs> it's a little, it's a, 125 is a little rough for me. And it's like, like oh. I'm more on the pale side, so I don't tan. I just, you know, sunstroke is what I immediately go to. There, there's nothing oh, yeah. in between. <laughs> but um, Yeah, it's hot. It's brutal right now. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But so, so then, you know, okay, you're in Arizona and you go to Arizona state for, you get two masters, it, both in different types of engineering. And 
and then you're and you're working for Intel also at the same time, right? So here's my question because you're so ingrained into engineering. Was there a moment, and I know that you said that, like, you know, you would have preferred to be working in, you know, uh, broadcast and, you know, something more creative, but was there a moment where you were just like, I just literally can't do this anymore. It's just, it's just not for me that you broke away from it. Not necessarily. There was never such a moment. It was just, you could call it uh, an awakening, so Uh to speak. I, um, so this was around 2009 and uh, because, you know, I moved to US and I was in the master's program. I was also working. I was also enjoying this new lifestyle and I gained a lot of weight by eating, working, being sedentary. Mm -hmm. And um, essentially, um, I had this wake up call that I need to do something about my health. But because I also come from this extremely like, you know, educational student kind of a mindset, I thought, uh, you know, rather than... um, in just hiring a health coach, why shouldn't I learn more about nutrition and yeah. uh, personal training and stuff? So I ended up, uh, you know, joining a diploma program uh, uh, to become a holistic nutritionist. And at the same time, what happened, uh, my father, who um, lives in India, he had a massive heart attack. And um, of course, I had to leave everything and be with him. And I realized like whatever uh, little I had learned in two or three weeks of my nutrition training Mm -hmm. helped me more than all my education as an engineer to help my father and my family live a healthy lifestyle. And that was probably the trigger point. I realized that this is something that uh, I could do to really make a difference in somebody's life. And um, I told myself, you know, this is where I really want to expand my knowledge. Well, that's cool. And then and you continued to study and learn while you were out in India with your father, right? Yeah. So I was I was not out of the program. I continued to learn and study um, online stuff. And then I came back. I was with him for two or three months. I had to Mm go while he was you know, recovering. And then when I came back, I finished my diplomas and I continued like, you know, pursuing more as needed. So did you discover juicing then, uh, you know, during those studies or how did you discover it? Uh, Definitely. Yes. That was one of the uh, points that I discovered juicing, but at the same time, uh, I had a baby and I wanted to lose the baby weight, but I wanted to do the correct way. Yeah. So I start. I thought, hmm, uh, what can I do really? Because uh, I'm a pure vegetarian. I cannot eat like lean meat and eggs and stuff like that. It doesn't really go along with my system and beliefs. Yeah. So how can I really uh, make sure that I am doing it the healthy way? So I thought maybe, okay, let's juice and block. But uh, I kind of waver all the time. Uh, it's very easy for me to look at food and get distracted. So I thought, okay, if I start blogging about it, I will uh-huh. think that I'm accountable to people and I will not get deviated from my plan. So I started blogging about it every day. And um, I did on this, I went on this juice detox and I started blogging about it. And um, of course, at that time I was not famous, but still some people were uh, reading the blog. And even, mm-hmm. even if one person was reading it and I was getting that accountability, I was happy. And, but luckily the blog became popular and uh, people uh, from the recreation centers in the valley, like 
Tempe, Chandler, I'm uh, in Phoenix Valley. Yeah. Uh, they read the blog and then they started inviting me to um, offer juicing workshops to their patrons. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> yeah. So that, uh, again, it, it just happened. I did it for myself, but uh, um, people saw what I was doing and then they thought, okay, this is somebody who's local and seems very knowledgeable. So mm-hmm. let's invite her. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like, you know, the, the moment that, you know, anybody I feel like publishes, you know, I don't want to say anything, but the moment anybody publishes anything, you know, that seems of, you know, any sort of, you know, uh, sense of real authority or knowledge on a subject and, you know, you publish it online, it, while there's almost no barrier to entry to doing that, there almost is a barrier to entry. And people, I feel like if you see something online, and you see other people are reading it, then there's an automatic authority almost bestowed upon it. And so it's very Absolutely. cool. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, you're doing it both for yourself um, you know, for the accountability, but for all of these other people, you know, they start following your journey and following your tips and tricks and, and they become invested in it. That, that's got to be a pretty cool feeling at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, um, again, because they've asked me to offer these juicing workshops, I thought, okay, I, whatever I do, I do it for myself. I don't know like how to really offer, offer it and uh-huh. you know, give medical advice on it. So I ended up also getting some uh, courses uh, to be a certified uh, juicing instructor, you know, holistic health juicing instructor. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, upgraded my skills so I could actually teach people juicing the correct way and not just the woo-woo Where do you way. go to get a certified juicing instructor license? You know, I'm forgetting the name of the institute right now because it was online. I think it was called National Institute of uh, uh, Health for, uh, you know, professionals or something like that. Okay. Yes. I have Very. to recall there's something somewhere I have the certificate here, but I'm uh, among forgetting. all of the other diplomas, something. Is yes. there too. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but the, so then the blog, you know, it becomes more and more popular and then it eventually leads to the book. So how, how does the book, you know, come about exactly? Are you just like, I'm doing this so much. Let, let me see if I can expand this more. No, no, not really. What happened was, um, uh, the blog was essentially very short-lived. Mm-hmm. I was because I was doing a 21-day juice detox and I was blogging about it. And after oh, okay. that 21 days, um, I was just writing genre, generic articles on health mm-hmm. and wellness and stuff like that. But when I was offering these workshops, the people who would come to the workshop, they would ask if I have a handout that I could give them that has more tips, tools, maybe more recipes because the workshops were like two hours. And then I thought, hmm, okay, I don't really have anything. I I had a very short one-page handout, but they needed something extensive. So I thought, okay, you know, I might write a small PDF for them. And then when I started writing, I got so involved in writing it and the the thoughts just kept flowing that eventually I ended up um, writing 150 pages. Oh you know, God. and I <laughs> tested all these recipes and I got really involved with it. And uh, um, I, because I was testing new, new recipes and then I would uh, uh, take this recipe to my workshop and I would let the people in the workshop sample those recipes. Mm-hmm. So essentially I got so involved in the process Then I'm like, oh, okay, you know, now this is not a short handout. It's a 150 page workbook or you know a book and I took really nice pictures as well so I thought why not you know just 
combine it into a book and publish it. <laughs> so. Well, I think it's cool because, you know, look, I feel like a lot of like the best businesses out there, you know, have a sense of altruism at the base of them. And, you know, for you, this was about initially just trying to help more with, uh, with these workshops that you were doing. And it turned into something that, you know, has helped countless amounts of people. And so, you know, that, that type of, you know, goodness at the base of any company is something that I just have a, you know, a tremendous amount of respect for. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it, I say I was just following my calling and mm-hmm. then it went back to my childhood dream of becoming a journalist and writing things be- and interviewing people because in the process I ended up writing and um, uh, being interviewed on podcasts to promote my book also mm-hmm. started, you know, interacting with the people uh to learn more about the world of nutrition. So uh, now if I look back at it, I was truly living, in fact, I'm living right now, my childhood dream of you know, following a mass journalism and being a journalist. I, I, which is amazing. And I guess, you know, the, the, that always begs the question of from how you pictured it to when you were a child to now, I mean, is this how you pictured that real dream of yours? And, you know, are you getting that full fulfillment of it? I would say yes. I didn't really picture it this way from the comfort of my house. Mm-hmm. I pictured it more traditional way of uh, being somebody who was going out and meeting people in person and interviewing at that point, I had no idea that we'll have digital communication on Zoom, right? So. <laughs> exactly. So well, I, I mean, look, you know, talk, talk to any of us, you know, seven months ago, this is not how I pictured life would be. Yes, uh, my whole growing up, I mean, come on, the, uh, talking to somebody and actually looking at them, that was a dream, right? So. Oh, my God. See, look, just right now, like, you know, going over and, you know, the idea of shaking someone's hand is something that is currently terrifying. I mean, it's like exactly. this is a whole new world. So that is what I mostly pictured it. But yes, definitely talking to people uh, about what they truly, you know, care for and passionate about that was what I was looking for and being on other people's shows and stuff. So now, yes, I'm living it, but not really in the real world but more in the virtual world. So then I have to ask an interesting question because, you know, I, I've heard you in your talks where, you know, you, you've described yourself as a natural introvert, but when you talk about that, you know, you picture yourself as being on other people's shows and talking to people about, you know, their lives, that's the exact opposite. I mean, that's, it you is. know, an extrovert that's, you know, has to get out there and everything. So, you know, there, there's, to me, there's a conflict. I feel like you literally more of a natural extrovert than an introvert. And it depends, it changes, you know, when I'm talking about my work and what I'm doing and uh, talking to people, I'm really involved in the communication and I love doing that. But if you ask me to go to a party and mm-hmm. intermingle with people out there, then I'm like, oh my gosh, no. So I would <laughs> think, you know, the borderline introvert, extrovert kind of a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a new word for that. I'm not, I'm forgetting the new word for this because, uh, um, in An some places, I, don't, I don't know what you would do. I, I don't know really, but I know like uh, this is a whole new concept that people are really good uh, and extrovert in areas that they are comfortable with, but in other areas they become like a cuckoo. <laughs> a cuckoo they hide in their cocoon. But like, if you ask me to go to a party, 
no way no <laughs> it's like i'll be staying home this evening That'll be I, that. I agree yes okay now what if the party is in your honor for you to talk about your book are you going to that party Yes, definitely. <laughs> because, uh, you know, also because I know everybody in the book, right? Uh-huh. I mean, even if it is a, um, let's say the collaborative books that I'm doing, the growth hacking book too. So I have uh, been working on this for almost like six months now. And I have built a rapport with all these people. So once I'm comfortable, it's easier. Mm-hmm. And it's all about business talks and stuff like that. But if it's like a general party where people are meeting, I, I don't think I'll be comfortable there. <laughs> I, I understand that. I, I completely understand that. And then, so this is interesting. So you write the book and then you realize that you also need to market and sell the book. And, you know, it's, it, I feel like there's, you know, this kind of through line with everything that you do when there's, you know, a topic that you feel like you're going to go get mildly involved in that you completely dive headfirst into it, you know, studying and researching, you know, everything from, you know, the multiple masters in engineering to how you learned about, you know, holistic, you know, lifestyle and juicing and everything that is a tremendous amount of study. And you did the same thing with marketing the book where you basically learned the hell out of everything and then used your engineering background to figure out Amazon algorithms. So how the hell do you do that? Because that's amazing. Uh, Just, you know, I think uh, if you have an open mindset, and if you have the willingness to learn, then definitely everything is possible. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, like, I got, I got a definite willingness, willingness to learn. I, I really, truly doubt I could do what you did. I mean, that, that's incredible. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you are really good at few things, which <laughs> I cannot even imagine doing. So, I think all of us have our own skills, and my skill is, of. Uh, demystifying algorithm of things you know that's that's really and I I would say that comes from the background as an engineer the research work that I did back in my engineering days and also prior to that because I come from a a family of engineers and my father uh, he has his own business where he's um he makes like big equipments for Mm -hmm. uh powerhouses Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's like a very, it's like the equipments that powerhouses use to mm-hmm. generate electricity. He's into making those instruments and a lot of other instruments. So since childhood, I've seen him, you know, figuring things out. And uh, since childhood, I've helped him to figure those things out. So it's sort of ingrained in my system now how to figure things out, be it uh, technical or non-technical. And that's great. I mean, it, it's good to be able to, you know, have that, you know, mindset of, you know, not this is impossible, but I can figure this out. I can do that. And I mean, right. like, you know, w- what an asset for an entrepreneur to just figure it out. And not only do you figure it out, but you do it so well that the book becomes an international bestseller. And so, I mean, I know obviously you got some attention with the blog and everything, but when you have an international bestseller, do you see your life change at that point? I did. Uh, because um, people who were sitting in the fence and not really um, willing to take my services, because um, 
I, I do not come from a traditional holistic background. I mean, I have some diplomas, but uh, people would think, hmm, is this person really qualified or really? And also, if you look at me, I'm really short, like almost five feet, still struggling with my weight, not the image of a holistic nutrition you see on the biggest loser or anything. So, you know, like a normal mom, but yes, trying to incorporate healthy lifestyle. Just so to jump in, I don't look at the biggest loser as, you know, a. <laughs> as an example of a holistic lifestyle. I mean, that- oh, I would say that. I mean, I, I, what I meant was, uh, you know, the, uh, the trainers you look at, look there, you know, not yeah, no, they, they look, they look great and they look thin. And then, you know, they get these guys in for literally to do nothing but 12 hour a day workouts with, you know, controlled eating patterns. And like, I mean, look, if that were my lifestyle, yeah, I would drop 90 pounds in like four or five months. Absolutely. Ooh. But I mean, I don't know. I just look at that. I'm like, that's not holistic. That's just insane. I mean, that's they feel insane. those people like yeah. passing out and fainting and, you know, throwing up. I mean, it's, it's, that's <laughs> a lot. It is. It is absolutely, you know. But again, you know, so I don't have this, um, the traditional image that people have of a holistic health coach. So, mm-hmm. you know, in, in shot. So anyway, so... Uh, but after this book came out, you know, people started looking at me and it became a bestseller internationally from a different viewpoint, even though physically I looked the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. So maybe they started thinking that, yes, I really know my art or skills and knowledge. So that was definitely beneficial, but more so because I learned the process, I learned how to market a book. This gave way to my new career, which right. I'm, you know, really currently focused on. And it has been the thing that I've done for the longest period of my life is, you know, helping people, you know, write and publish their own books. And this goes back to that altruism that I was talking about and that, you know, your business really, it look, yeah, obviously I'm sure you're financially benefiting from it, but it's about everybody else. And it's about, you know, uh, yes. helping other people realize their dreams and that, that yes. it's just, it's so cool. So, how, but how did it start? I mean, you know, were people coming to you for advice and, you know, you're spending so much time on it that you figure, look, let me just start charging for my time or, or how did, how did you build all this? Yeah. So initially I was just doing it. I, I did it with my book and uh, all of a sudden people saw this lady who was not at all known till yesterday and uh, became an overnight star, even even if it's within my community, right? Uh, yeah. it's not overnight star internationally, whatever, but even in my community, in the people that I used to follow or people who used to follow me on social media, they started looking at me from a different angle. And then they reached out asking me for advice on how I did what I did. And I would just, you know, advise them uh, with the techniques that I used. And then one after another, after another, they implemented it and all the people had similar success. I thought initially it was a fluke. It worked for me, might not work for others. But then, you know, after having consistent results, I thought, okay, you know, this is how it's not a fluke. This is really an algorithm, so to speak, and it works. Mm-hmm. And then um, some of my friends, in fact, one of the ladies who um, wrote the foreword for my book, and she was a health coach, a celebrity. She had come in a lot of um, health documentaries. Her health documentaries are on Netflix and Amazon. 
and um, she um, her she her books were not doing really well, and I helped her, and her book started doing well. And she was the one who uh, actually encouraged me to take this seriously, because um, she told me. Um, that yes, there might, I, and I told her, you know, there's so many people, this is not really my field. And she's like, yes, but you know, um, I would trust you more than anybody else, whether it is your field or not, because you come from a strong educational background also. So I know you would be authentic, you know, I mean, you will not be faking things. And that is what I don't do. I don't fake things. You know, I just tell people directly upfront what is possible and what is not possible. And um, I started doing that and I started taking it seriously as a business. And then um, eventually I started feeling happy about it Mm -hmm. because, again, as you mentioned, I was not just helping people, you know, publish their books, but also fulfill their dreams. Yeah. I mean, when you say you eventually felt happy about it, did you not feel happy about it in the beginning? Uh, not really. I wouldn't say happy about it, but um, eventually in the sense, because I need more confidence in whatever I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And then the work was, I, for the first few times I did it, I thought hmm, maybe it was a fluke or maybe it worked for this person. Maybe it might not work for that person. Maybe Amazon is not publishing so many books right now. That's why it worked. So eventually it took me a little bit of time to realize that this was not fluke but something which could um, be replicated and be success in all cases. I mean, it feels like almost you were dealing with like a, like an imposter syndrome in the beginning that, you yes. know, yes. which I, I mean, look, I, I get that because I'm one of those people where, you know, even at my own job where, you know, I've, I've had, you know, a, a pretty good amount of success over the last, you know, decade and a half. Occasionally I'm just sitting there thinking like, they're going to find out. I, I just don't know anything. I'm, I'm, I'm a fraud. Like, you know, and, you know, and then, you know, I continue to do things well and, you know, it turns out to be okay. But it's like, like, I always feel like, you know, that it's easier to recognize somebody as a true authority from outside in than from inside out. Yes. True. Yeah. yeah. And so when you're ta- when you're taking on, you know, authors and entrepreneurs, is there any ever any time where you're just like, look, I, I'm looking at, you know, your business, I'm looking at you as, a, you know, a manager or leader or author, and I, I just, I don't know that I can help you here. Or do you feel that your system is so solid that it works for everybody? No, there are cases when I know that um, the system might not work. Of course, the system works for everybody, but sometimes um, people come to me for uh, to relaunch a book, let's say, mm-hmm. right? And eventually, I always tell them that your first buyers are always your friends, family members, clients, people who love you, people who trust you. Uh, but there are a lot of people who um, uh, have unrealistic expectations, right? I mean, they want to sell maybe a thousand copies right off the bat or uh, become a best-selling author. And they think that, you know, they'll turn into a millionaire. And even if I explain them, that's not how things work you know, eventually you need some organic growth and things take time um, to grow. Yes, yeah. best-selling, uh, it's its uh, a lot about algorithm, a lot about how we use the right launch strategies, the right relaunch strategies. But the reality is, you know, the best-selling authors, a lot of marketing goes into it. So mm-hmm. you 
not become like overnight millionaires, you know, it's a process. But some authors really do not understand that. And uh, I know that if they're not understanding it in our conversation, then they will not be happy even after we work together. So I tell them, you know, we are not really a good fit. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, um, I read the manuscript and uh, I tell the author that, we need some changes in the manuscript. The manuscript is not really great and, uh, you know, might have some loopholes and um, the author is not willing to change the manuscript Mm -hmm. because they feel, and I can understand because they feel, um, you know, really involved in the whole manuscript, right? Sometimes it's emotional, but uh, yes, you can still publish it, but um, will it be marketable? That's questionable. So there are few few reasons. Sometimes, you know, um, the authors don't like uh, uh, my services or uh, what I tell them. So it goes both ways, I would think. Okay, well, that's understandable. Is there any one of those that, like, you look at and you're like, this was just, like, a huge success that you're just, like, beyond proud of that you were able to do for uh, one of your authors? Yes, definitely. Um so I have this author and um, his name is uh, uh, Stuart Pierce. And um, he is a voice coach for celebrities. And he was the personal voice coach of Lady Diana for two years before oh, she wow. passed away. So he teaches uh, celebrities. I mean, he has a huge list of celebrities. He lives in London uh, on how to use the power of their voice to actually make an impact with their message. So when Mariana Williamson was contesting for the presidential um, elections, he, she was also being trained by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, he's also very spiritual and he's also a soul angel whisperer. So he also, you know, guides people and um, tells people about um, their connection with the soul and stuff. So, of course, he's a celebrity and um, I had no doubt in his book whatsoever. And the book is also called Lady Diana, The Voice of Change. So that was about his time with Princess Diana. And I feel that uh, he had a traditional publisher. So there was no reason because I help. Uh, I Sometimes I help publishers, but um, most of the time I help uh, authors who want to really write and publish their book on their own. Yeah. I help them to self-publish and market their books. So th- this author uh, was actually um, recommended to me by the publisher himself because publisher could take care of the paperback uh, sales and distribution, but he couldn't take care of the online things, you know, uh, yeah. You know, old, old, um, uh, they are very good with old traditional ways, but not so much with the new technology. Right. So they hired me to help him with uh, this book. And um, this book is really a huge success, of course, because of uh, the author's background, but also because uh, the way uh, we did things for the book, the way we marketed and we started because this author is from UK. So we targeted on UK and USA market first. Mm -hmm. Then we went to other countries, um, everything online, uh, Canada and India. So so the curve, you know, it, it became really popular in UK first, then USA, then Canada, then it's now doing really well in India. It was in the top, I would say top uh, 200 books in India oh, wow. on the entire Amazon uh, Indian store. So um, 
I feel like, you know, the trajectory that we have done for this author, considering the message and considering it's like a legacy by Lady Diana herself, I feel truly proud of it. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that that is just so cool, too. And it's like, like, look, I, I'm hearing, but it's like, you know, he's somebody who, like, I... Uh, like I'd, I'd love to talk to the guy even, I mean, because what a, what a story, I mean, you know, what an ability and, you know, what a perspective mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily think of. And, you know, uh, you know, like a service that, you know, celebrities and politicians, you know, have to take on and just the power to use their voice. Because I, I think a lot of times you see these guys on TV and you just figure, Oh, that's natural. That's just who they are. And it's like, no, there's, there's really truly a team behind this, behind them, you know, showing them, you know, how to do this and how to have that power and how to have that presence. I mean, that's amazing. Exactly. It's truly amazing. And uh, in fact, when I met him for the very first time, I have this habit of stressing on things, right? Mm -hmm. Coming from, uh, uh, again, engineering background, giving technical speeches. And even with my first call, he started like, training me how to use my voice properly i'm like it's like don't scream go slow go slow and when you talk to him he's like so gentle so calm uh-huh. and always you know i think uh, one thing i really miss is growing up in 60s and 70s honestly speaking because i really? feel people who grew up in that era they had such beautiful vocabulary Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we are people who grew up in 80s and now people who are growing up, I gosh, save their vocabulary. But uh, these people, like I, I, I look at my grandparents, I'm like, wow, what beautiful use of words and language they yeah. had. And we are like, okay, you know, just maybe 100 or 200 words that we might be using over and over again in mm-hmm. our conversation. So I, I feel that, you know, I, I should be working a little bit more on my vocabulary. And <laughs> and then I meet this person who has such beautiful way of talking and using words beautifully. And uh, I feel that, you know, I'm, I'm, that's a message from the Almighty that, yes, you are in the right direction. You need to work on your vocabulary and improve your voice skills. Well, yeah, it's funny. It's like, especially when you talk about the vocabulary. It's like, look, I'm I'm a nerd and I'm I'm rereading Moby Dick for, I think, like the third time in my life right now. Wow. I want to talk about how, like, you know, language and vocabulary has just shifted over, you know, 150 years in this country. You just look at it. It's like nobody speaks like that anymore. And, you know, and I I have trouble just thinking about like, you know, folks that work in, you know, general laborer businesses, which is, you know, what you'd think of as like, you know, somebody working on a whaling ship speaking as eloquently as all of them do, because they they all, they all sound like, like, you know, they're, they're just brilliant and, you know, amazing. And it's like, it doesn't compute because that's not how people talk today. You know, you know, there's a much more, you know, as, as you put it, it's like a hundred or 200 words and it's just much more, you know, rough and less eloquent and, you know, uh, Very less eloquent. Yes. Yeah, Especially as, as, the young generation. Sometimes I get text messages and half of the text messages abbreviated. Oh yeah. I'm like what, you know, LOL, BRB, PKK. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what kind of a language is that? <laughs> well, it's funny. It's, I was, t- I was talking with a producer I worked with at one point and, you know, he asked me, he says, when I write, um, you know, THX, you know, when somebody, you know, sends me something, like, does it seem like I'm upset? I'm like, it seems like you're really dismissive because you don't have time to write thanks all the way through it. Like that, like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we, we've abbreviated ourselves to the point of, of, you know, seeming disinterest in others. Yes. Or especially 
actually when you receive those happy birthday messages and it only says HBD, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you know rather not wish because it's it's more of a and especially if you look at the young generation, I mean the millennials and like the young young millennials twenties and so yeah. they have. 5,000 followers on each social media, a bare minimum, right? Yeah. And uh, they have like hundreds of WhatsApp groups going on. So they are always very inundated with all these messages. Mm -hmm. So they actually do not have time to wish somebody personally and, you know, to thank them, somebody personally. So I understand that they are overburdened. But at the same time, I also feel because words and vocabulary have power, we are missing that, um, not only our eloquence, but also that relationship that we could build if we were actually using the words properly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, I think that, you know, how people interact today, because like I grew up in the 80s also, and it's like how people interact today is a thousand percent different than, you know, how people interacted when we grew up. Because look, I remember it's like, I grew up, I wanted to talk to a friend, I picked up the phone. And if I wanted to talk to a friend who was out of state, I had to wait till the weekend to when, you know, the, uh, you know, the distance calling was only like, you know, 30 cents a minute and not a dollar a minute. And I would pay my parents back for, you know, whatever it was like, that's what I remember when I was a kid, not like, like, oh, look, I've got this thing in my pocket and I'm just going to message whoever I want, whenever I want in how short of a form that I want. And I'll, you know, just message somebody who I haven't talked to in six, seven years and it'll be out of the blue. But because like I just saw a picture that they posted and it was interesting, you know, back then it was, you didn't talk to someone in six or seven years. You weren't going to talk to them for another six or seven years. Usually it's like like once they were out of sight, it was kind of out of mind. Yes. So both, I think both good and bad, you know, we need to change with changing times, Mm -hmm. but also at the same time, we should not forget the good that we had had in the past. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you want to be able to hold on to those relationships. So I have to ask you, you know, your whole story. And when you look at it from, you know, growing up in India to moving to Arizona to becoming an author and, you know, and now having your own business. I mean, do, do you look at your story as kind of the fulfillment of the American dream? Uh, yes, I would say that because, um, if I was, uh, let's say not in us, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wouldn't have this massive viewpoint Mm -hmm. that you could possibly do anything that you really love and be successful at it. Right. So, uh, the mindset changed when I came here, Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I think it's changing now, even in India, it's uh, changing in uh, because of the advance of um, technology, the internet, things have changed, yes. But mm-hmm. in my personal life, I realized that there is this whole wild world out there with a different viewpoint than mine. And when you open it, when you open your mindset, then the whole world is your canvas and nothing is really impossible. As cool. And that is, I think, a really, really perfect note for us to end on. So, you know, Parul, thank you so much for joining me today. Seriously, it was just an absolute pleasure. If you'd like to learn more about Parul, follow her on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram at Author Parul. That's A-U-T-H-O-R-P-A-R-U-L. Pre-order her latest book, The Growth Hacking Book 2. It's a collaborative book by over 100 digital entrepreneurs who share their best growth strategies for today. If you're an entrepreneur trying to grow your business, you should visit her website, Parul Agrawal. 
Com. She's helped hundreds of people do everything from grow and scale their businesses to becoming best-selling authors. So Perul, again, seriously, thank you for being here. You're welcome back anytime because I'm sure there's a thousand things we didn't hit today. Oh, thank you so much, Rami. It was such a pleasure speaking with you, sharing, you know, my crazy life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was amazing to share. So, you know, thank you very much for being here. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard or had questions, please email me at info at the toprankedpodcast.com. Again, that's info at the toprankedpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a comment. I love hearing what people have to say. You can follow me on Twitter at Boy. That's S-P-R-U-S-Y-B-O-Y, where I post the latest news and announcements for the show. Thanks so much, everyone. Stay safe and healthy out there.